will end it after the shovel, or will it? Miami running around, circling, oh look out! Gronkowski didn't have the angle! Touchdown! Oh, how can you drink? A miracle! Hello, welcome to the Dolphin UK podcast. Another win, a bit scrappy this week, I must admit. Um, I enjoyed that as a uh, uh, a fan of a derby game in uh, in British football. I, I love a bit of like ruckus and a bit of back and forth, and it was uh, it was had all that atmosphere and and more the the Dolphins at the weekend. So that was great. Uh, joined by Lee and Simon as ever. Sorry, how are you doing, mate? You're right. Yeah, good. Thanks, Andy. Yeah, I just wondered if we're going to go no huddle in the second half of the show again, as that seems to be the way forward now, doesn't it? No huddle. It does. We absolutely uh, dominate that second half, don't we, at the weekend? But uh, yeah, that, what, hopefully they stick to that plan going forward. Lee, how, how's everything your side, mate? Yeah, all good this end. Just, I tell you what, isn't it nice to have early Monday night football as well? Just yeah. just the, the football junkie in you is just like, oh, great, you can watch some more football. And, and even better when the uh, unbeaten yes unbeaten streak continues and we're, we're sit atop of that uh, that only team that's ever been unbeaten. That was a, a lovely start to the uh, to the week for us, wasn't it? Really. So, yeah, couldn't have gone better for for us on on uh, Sunday and Monday. And uh, yeah, could do with a, a Dallas win tonight, but uh, I'm not sure we can uh, we can bank on that too much. And, and obviously, we'll know the result when this is published. So, uh, yeah, we'll see. We'll see. Um, guys, I wanted to kick off today with um, uh, like one of my takes of the week, which uh, which kind of relates to the intro I gave there, and that was our like response to the adversity we faced during this game at, at times. Obviously, a couple of bad hits from Mike Thomas on uh, Jakeem Grant, which like fired at the sidelines, and we saw the benches empty, uh, and a couple of players get ejected. We saw Sean Williams stamping on Solomon Kinley, and obviously been subsequently suspended, but. Do you guys think that that was kind of the catalyst for this win? I mean, I, I felt we lacked a bit of passion. There was probably a bit of complacency at times in the first half. Uh, the Bengals looked absolutely uh, rubbish in places, but but we didn't look much better. So, I mean, like Lee, you speak every week about team spirit and about what Flores is doing for this team. Do, do you think that like encapsulated that for us and really gave us a kickstart and we got to see like what Brian Flores is all about as well with him entering the the sideline dash as well. So, yeah, I think it's, I've almost got like a two-part answer to this because I don't necessarily think it was the catalyst to the, the team playing better, but I do think it was a super important point in the season. And even, this is going to sound kind of dramatic, but it's almost an important an important feature of Brian Flores' tenure as a, as a head coach because you can say a thousand times that you've got the players' backs and you can say that you support them and you can be on on the players level, you know, you can be a, a coach of the players, you know, the, the anti Adam Gase, but you only get, you get very few opportunities to actually go out and show it. And it's worth so much more, you know, he can say a million times standing in the, in, in the, in the locker room or, or on the practice field, but until you get the chance to actually do that and, you know, march across the field and, and, you know, wear your heart on your sleeve, it, it doesn't necessarily, I think it doesn't mean as much, the players probably believe you, but there's always that. You can never be a hundred percent. Someone's going to actually do that until you know you actually see him steaming across the field. I think you know it. It was warranted. I've got a slightly different feeling on the on the two hits on Jakeem Grant because the second hit I think is, is a super interesting is a super interesting one because when when the Bengals coach comes out and says it's a legal hit. I don't think he means it's a legal hit as in it shouldn't have been a penalty. It was a penalty because he got there early. The hit, the form of the tackle was superb. That's how that's how every week we are shown by, by commentators that's how it's supposed to be done. But he just arrived way too early. It's a definite penalty. I didn't think it was as dirty as the first hit. And I actually thought that the Bengals, this all started way earlier on. There was a late hit on Devontae Parker on... I believe it was on the interception that came back. Yes. I think, you know, he was hit late from behind and got up and immediately looked for someone to, to go after. And, and you almost saw him check himself and say, no, that's don't do that. But I, yeah, I thought it looked, I want I mean, I just used the word dirty. I, I, it looked that way early on to me. And I actually said to the, to my brother who I was watching the game with, this looks like a game that could get out of control in regards to, you know, people behaving themselves. 
couldn't have been uh, more right, really. But uh, <laughs> I, was, I, I, I had a chat with a couple of uh, like Cincinnati fans yesterday, and I was just saying to them that they were kind of like, oh, but Parker threw the first punch. And I was like, I, I have no qualms with that because like emptying the benches for completely to stand up for your own teammates. And that's fine. I know it's annoying that he got uh, kicked out of the game, but uh, at the end it didn't cost us and it's just going to cost him some money. <laughs> but uh, what do you reckon, Si? Was it the right thing to do? I mean, I loved what I was seeing in the second half, actually, because let's face it, the first half was so lethargic and it felt so flat. They needed a fire lit underneath them before the second half and you just wonder how much Flores's charge across the field was generated by his emotion at half time giving the team a rollicking because they needed it and I just wonder if they all well they clearly they all carried that momentum into the second half and Flores included actually obviously because um because of what he did but I loved what I was seeing because it gave them that kick up the backside that they needed and they came out with so much a lot more intensity in in that second half. Um, perhaps one could argue they did go too far, but you want your coach and your teammates to stand up for each other and be together as one effectively. And and I just hope that that's the catalyst now for setting the tone for the remaining games this season. It, everything seemed to click in that second half, with whether it's regards to Tua's play or the team performing in general. You just hope now that they can carry that momentum forward into into the next game. Yeah, can't can't disagree. Can't agree more. Even um, and I think I just hope that it doesn't take that kind of thing every week to get us fired up. I mean, like you, like you say, it was lethargic as hell in the first half. But I think that in a way is due to the opposition rather than uh, rather than the, the the kind of the Dolphins themselves playing against. You know, it's a bit like when you see the the top teams in the Prem play against the relegation threatened teams, and they take sometimes take a goal to spark a spark a revival and, and a bit of life in them. But uh, go on, Lee. Sorry, mate. No, I just think I think the the first half is a really interesting um, kind of situation because the the team looked off and everything looked kind of lethargic, but they were they weren't a million miles away from having a good half. You know, the the, the touchdown they gave up in the first half was was kind of a blown assignment, not blown assignment, but Byron Jones thinks he's got help over the top from Brandon Jones. Brandon Jones doesn't doesn't play his part right. It's kind of like a a kind of multitude of mistakes leads to a guy running down the field, a touchdown. Okay, that happens. No problem. If Jakeem Grant catches the, the, the deep ball over the middle of the field, which was a wonderfully thrown ball, you know, I, I think if you look back to the Tannehill days, we, we thought he struggled with the deep ball. He throws it very flat, whereas that ball was very up in the air, really gave Jakeem a chance to, to catch it, which he should have made. Like, let's be honest, that, that was a drop. But Tua has 111 yards in the first half. If if Jakeem catches that at midfield and gets tackled instantly, he has 150 yards, and the Bengals only give up 257 yards average per game on the season. He would have been well over halfway to that. You know, we I think the, the Bengals' defense has been lost a little bit in the fact that that the team haven't been winning games, but they've actually been performing at a a good level. They've been playing hard. And I think we probably saw that in the first half. I think um, we we chatted as well, didn't we, at half time? Armando tweeted, "Does Tua get benched?" And I think I said to you, didn't I, that if that pass had been completed, it would have been, uh, we'd have considered it, a, like you say, a good half. Yeah. And and just as, as a side note, actually, that would have been a ninety-one yard completion had um, Jackie pulled that in and gone all the all the way, and that would have been a franchise record. Would you believe? Um, and I think I mentioned this on a previous show when we did that stats episode. The Dolphins have never had a, a pass play longer than 90 yards. And that would have been 91, not even in the Dan Marino days. And in fact, the longest pass in Dolphins history was Bob Greasy to Paul Warfield against Pittsburgh in November 1971, 86 yards for a touchdown. And that is the longest in franchise history. So Tua was on the cusp of of setting that franchise record on what I mean it's easier said than done and he and the fact is he didn't make that completion but to be honest it should he should have caught the ball and he should have gone all the way yeah the the, the fact that it wasn't completion is not on tour it's on Jakeem 100% yeah you, you know so I think I think we can talk about it in terms of it should have been completed it, you know if he if the quarterback's inaccurate you can't say well ah oh, well, if you'd hit the open guy well you know if we play that game if everyone hits the open guy no one will lose <laughs> but I think in this instance, 
the, it's in you know it's in Jakeem's hands. It hits both of his hands. It's a you know that can't be held against Tua. I do think there was a silver lining though to this whole thing. If Jakeem Grant catches that and gets down the field, let's say he scores, I don't think it makes them uncomfortable enough at halftime to change the way they were treating Tua in the first half. And we've said it for a couple of weeks that they you know they've played him as a rookie and they've treated him that way. And I think being down to a team they shouldn't be down to and things being chippy and, like you say, I'm guessing quite an emotional or at least severely annoyed Brian Flores at halftime, you know, encourages them to go and, and kind of let him play a more open kind of game, a little bit more like he did against Arizona. I think, you know, you knew Arizona were a better team coming in and that's why he was allowed to play that way. Every other game, they seemed to be very conservative and happy for the defence to to kind of win the game. And although that would probably have still been the case, you know, the defense played well again. I, I think the silver line of this was they were able to open the playbook up and, and see if Tua can handle it. And I think he answered that pretty clearly. We, we talked last week about um, complacency being potentially the main obstacle to a Dolphins win. I don't think they were necessarily complacent in the first half, more, more sloppy. You had uncharacteristic penalties galore um, to a, couldn't move the ball um so it was nice to see them completely turn it around in the second half and uh, the, the part of that um turn around in the second half was that connection between uh Tour and Gaziki and I think you're gonna hit us with your first takeaway of the week so yeah I have a nice little segue there Andy um yeah that's what I'm here for um can um Gaseki now be regarded as an elite tight end discuss I mean I've got a few things to um share with you uh, some stats that came out after the game. Um, he had a career nine receptions um, with, with it for one game um, on Sunday. He's become one of the most productive tight ends in the NFL this season, actually ranking fourth among all tight ends with 537 yards. He's 13.8 yards per reception. He's third in the NFL. Um, he becomes the fourth tight end in Dolphins history to have multiple 500-yard seasons. Uh, and he's had nine touchdowns since week 13 of 2019, which is tied for third most by the NFL in that span. And you, and you, you think, you look at his improvement across the last season or two and compare that also to the likes of Miles Gaskin, Nick Needham, Eric Rowe, Christian Wilkins, to name a few, who have undoubtedly improved. Even Xavier Howard has improved and he's getting better. Can he now be regarded in the conversation as being an elite tight end? And and what is his value to the team? What do you think, guys? Because I think um, that certainly since Williams has gone down, uh, he's, he seems to be the, one of the focal points now for Tua in that receiving game. That's it. I mean, I think uh, I think you're absolutely right. And I think he's, he's really stepping up. I think um, when we lost Parker in this game, it was kind of a bit... It wasn't like overly shaky because I was never really... like. Any, had any worry that the Bengals were going to move the ball on us the, the way they started that second half. But we just needed to keep our, our offence uh, in rhythm and going. And, and it was all placed on Gaziki's shoulders, really, wasn't it, in the passing game. And he certainly lived up to it. So I, I think he's I think he's a fantastic player. And, the, and it's just really good to see uh, us not afraid to use him because I think oft, all too often with your tight ends, uh, I don't know. I mean, like on Monday, obviously Logan Thomas for a couple of catches for the for Washington, and and he's a really good tight end, but they just don't utilize him enough, and and you can see that. And and we've just started to click and use um, Kaziki a lot. And and I, I wonder sometimes with uh, is it a lot about having to feed the wide receivers because that's what they're obviously there for, and that's the, the name of the game. And sometimes you stay away from your tight end a bit. Um, and just like let the receivers eat over the tight end. But with, with us, it doesn't seem to be that way. And you see Gaziki schemed open a lot. And I think he's going to be a, such a vital cog in our uh, offence if we're going to get to a, going up that elite level that we know he can play at. Yeah, and on that note, actually, that catch that um, Gaziki made, we talked about it last week, about having that that um, wide reach both horizontally and vertically. And that was a perfect example of of the sort of catch that he can make. And I just wonder if also it would give to her a little bit more confidence to thinking that he doesn't have to be so accurate and so precise in in that window of where he needs to deliver the ball. And actually he can take a, a leaf out of Fitz's example, actually, and have a bit more confidence in these receivers actually going to be able to go up and, and grab the ball as, as Gasicki did on that occasion. 
Yeah, hundred percent. And it's like um, you can kind of throw him open as well, can't you? You don't have to throw into the body, and you can kind of throw him that extra yardage, which is uh, which is obviously always a benefit. Lee, what what do you think? Yeah, I think Mike Gesicki is is going to be a bit of a problem for us because when it comes contract time right now, how do you pay Mike Gesicki? Because I I would argue that I think he's one hundred percent can be elite, and he can be in that top tier of NFL tight ends. But I would argue right now. I said it a few weeks ago, I think after the Denver game, he's just not consistent. Do this next week. Do the same thing next week and pull in some of those catches because when he's got all the traits. He's got all the ability and we see it in flashes. And I don't know if it's scheme or like you say, quarterback trust. Um, I just think he needs to get it. But when it comes to contract time, I just don't know right now how you, how you assess his play because the stats say that he's, He's great and he's worth playing elite money, but he only really shows up in a few of the games. And it hurts me to say that because I think he can be elite. I just really want him to... He, he's almost at the stage that Devontae Parker was getting to. He, he needs to make that step to consistency now where you, you can rely on him game in, game out to get you 60 yards, whatever. Do you know what I mean? Just to con- say consistency is the word that I keep coming back to for him. I think he's got perfect... Sorry. Go on, no, I'll just quick quick point from me. Um, I think as well what his like rise this season has allowed for is the kind of scheming open of the other tight ends as well. You've seen, I mean, I don't, uh, I remember strapping Durham Smythe and, and being like certain that he was just there to block, but this year we've seen him make a few important grabs and he's moved the chains for us. And and Adam Shaheen's got a couple of touchdowns and that, and that's because all the like linebacker and and uh, strong safety attention is on Gazicki around the red zone and that sort of thing. So, yeah, I think that's also a real, like, you can argue consistency in terms of stuff in the sh- uh, stat sheet, but uh, that really, you know, that, that really, make, like, that's a good point, I think, in, in terms of him just allowing other people to play. I think next week's perfect opportunity for him to maintain those standards that he's now setting when he's he's up against arguably the best NFL um, tight end of, uh, of uh, well, in, in the NFL. And in this generation, actually argue, well, Rob Gronkowski might have something to say about it, but certainly Travis Kelsey is the best there is at the moment. Um, and it's a good good opportunity to not go head-to-head because they're, on, um, they're not going to be on the field together. But uh, you, you look at what Kelsey's undoubtedly going to do, and we'll talk about that um, in the Chiefs preview, but Gusecki's got that opportunity to, to overshadow him. Yeah, for sure. I don't know whether... Uh, uh... Kaziki will benefit from not having Eric Rowe covering, uh, but we'll get there. We'll get there. <laughs> that tight end blanket we've got. Um, yeah, my, I'll just just jump onto my second take then, which is um, I was really impressed with the with the linebackers this week. I think that's the first week this season. I'll be like, more than happy to say that. Uh, obviously, uh, the stat sheet uh, shows why with three sacks for Van Noy and, and two for Shaq Lawson. If you're calling him a outside linebacker rather than a defensive end but it was also the kind of way we stood up in the run game as well I thought that was probably um I've mentioned it consistently week to week been worried about kind of being opened up there but I think we only allowed 40 yards running the whole game which is uh, obviously you know that's the recipe to win games of football isn't it and, uh, and most of that was from like Jerome Baker, Van Noy, um you know the other guys in there just just really shutting those running lanes, and I was just thoroughly impressed with the way they kind of stepped up and clamped down on Brandon Allen uh, in the passing game as well as the, as, as uh, Bernard in the run game. Because like as much as uh, we can talk negatively about the Bengals not being great with that Burrow, that they've started out just throwing the ball everywhere, and the way the linebackers start stepped up, put that pressure on, was recovering that dink and dunk uh, offense really just kind of. Oh, helped us to victory there and and like long may it continue and, and I think Van Noy as well probably feels a bit disrespected since he's he's joined uh, uh, Miami I think I think he had a, a small snipe at the, the media according to a couple of the beat reporters just like you know just saying the same sort of stuff as Flores says and, and obviously he's been trained in that New England media technique there but um, he's obviously felt a bit um like we're doing a bit of disservice to him and stuff, and it's obviously got a lot of things said about a couple of performances this year. And this was the game where I thought he really came out as as probably one of the the best defenders we've got outside of the two cornerbacks. Any thoughts from you, Sai? Well, Van Noy in particular, or, or, or just the linebackers as a, as a group. I mean, well, Van Noy. Um, I think he didn't he predict he was going to get um, a three for. 
um, so to speak, and he, and he did actually. Um, so um, kudos to him actually. And uh, but uh, I mean, we talked last week again about wonder whether they'd missed Raekwon McMillan in the run game, but they certainly didn't miss him this week, did they? They they totally shut that down. May it may have been different if um, Joe Mixon was playing, but that's that's um, irrelevant now anyway. They had to deal with what was in front of them, and they dealt with it superbly. Yeah, Lee, any kind of development on that or the, the defence as a whole across the, across the course of the game? Yeah, so uh, actually, I completely agree. I thought Van Doy was excellent again. Um, I think he, he's shown it in a few places through the season, but this is a really solid game. Also, I think you can see when some of the other players are playing well, he, he's he's almost Christian Wilkins. Like He's always around the ball. He's always there celebrating with the young players, almost keeping them... He kind of feels like a general of the defence. Do you know what I mean? He's, everything's operating under him. I, I don't know, but I'd love to see him play. I think he's been a great addition. Yeah, I actually watched him uh, talk to Pat McCaffrey as well uh, afterwards, which is worth a watch. If, uh, if you guys want to have a quick ch- check on that, he's very honest and, uh, and, and uh, you know, really positive about the Dolphins at the moment and, and what we can achieve this season. So, yeah, it's well worth... Uh, Tuning into and um, uh, and talking about what we can achieve, I think. Sorry, you, your second takeaway is uh, all around uh, playoffs and, and chances we've got there now, and are we going to definitely jinx ourselves for the <laughs> for the next couple of weeks? But yeah. we'll do it anyway. We'll do it anyway. <laughs> I was going to sure you want me to say this, <laughs> um, but yeah, I talked last week about I'd been doing some research around playoff odds and. Uh, it's made for fascinating findings, actually, in that since 1990, when the playoff format, I think, expanded to six teams in that year, on 308 occasions, there's been a, a team go 10 and 6 in the regular season. And of those 308, only 11 times has a 10 and 6 team not made the playoffs. Um, so that's a huge percentage of teams who do make the playoffs. 96.5% of teams who get a 10 and 6 record make the playoffs. So we're two games, two games away from that now, and taking and that's a sixteen playoff um, scenario. And this year, obviously, we've got seven. Now, I think on that basis, you can assume or, or pretty much guaranteed that if you get to ten and six, you're going to get in the playoffs. I mean, it's it's ninety six point five percent with six teams with seven. I think you're looking at a hundred percent of teams. So that's why it was important to get that win over the Bengals because now you only need two wins out of four. If we'd have lost to the Bengals, we'd have needed three wins out of four, which would have made it even harder. But they've got that one win out of the way now. So two more wins out of our last four games. And I think it's safe to say that we should guarantee to get in the playoffs. Man, that's a strong start. And to be fair, to be fair, Lee called 10 and 6 and like Man, we should put some money on it. We should put some money. <laughs> looking very. Sweet, what do you reckon? I mean, just for some insight, I think I think it was you, Andy, to put it in the chat the other day that he said, "I can't believe Lee's analysis, Lee's analysis is coming true in front of our eyes." And they, I don't know why you're so surprised. <laughs> <laughs> no, in all seriousness, like I, I think ten wins gets us in. I still see that we can get ten wins. I don't. I, I, I think the difference between now and many years in the past where. You get into December, and there's there's a hundred scenarios where you can get into the playoffs, but they involve all sorts of things happening in your favour. We control what happens to our team right now. If you keep winning, you're going to get in. Simple as that. Because you have to play the Raiders, you have to play the Bills, you have to play the Pats. You know those are all teams that are still, you know, in the hunt, so to speak. I mean, the Pats are kind of hanging around there on, on the outside looking in. The beauty is they don't control their own destiny. You beat them, it's almost it's almost like two wins because you know you, you get the win yourself, but you put them a game further behind. We play the Bills, you know, an, another chance. We're playing the Raiders. The Raiders are, again sitting in a wild card position. We control what we do, you know, and I think that's been a, a lot different than it has been for a, for a number of years. I think it's important. I don't want to put your either of you on the spot and ask for exact exact wins. Do you see us winning two games in the next four? Go on, Sai. You can. I see us um, out of those four. We're more than likely, I would say, going to beat the Patriots at home um, because traditionally they don't like playing in Miami. Um, they seem to have their number. They haven't got Tom Brady, so I think we can beat the Patriots. And of the other three, I think the the Raiders game is certainly winnable. I mean, look at the struggles they had beating the. Jets 
on Sunday and almost threw that game away, albeit for their own miracle. Um, so those are the two games I would look to win for, for sure. Um, the other two are going to be extremely difficult, Buffalo away um, and the Chiefs at home, of course. They're, they're on paper the two hardest ones. So I'd certainly be looking to beat the Raiders and the Patriots for sure. Interestingly, I read something in the Miami Herald today, actually, that said if we beat the Chiefs, we've got a 71% chance of getting in the playoffs. If we lose to the Chiefs, that percentage drops to 31%. Um, interestingly, how they work that out, I don't know, but... It was at 51% before last night's games. I haven't seen it since then. Yeah, I don't know. So the Raiders and the, the um, Patriots are the two games I'd look to win. And and you'd say at this stage, right, the way the teams are playing right now, that the Dolphins would be favoured to win those. That's it, yeah. I mean, I, I completely uh, agree on both of them. My, my one worry is that the Patriots are in a position which we've been, not, not we've been in, but we've been similar to them in recent years where they could play the kind of... Uh, you know the the party pooper to to our playoff uh, ambitions, and, and that will kind of change the the narrative of the game, and it will be a bit different uh, than it has been recently. So that'll be interesting to watch. Um, I think the Raiders are definitely beatable. We've there's a formula to beat them, and you've just got to look at the way that Carr played, not this last week against the Jets, the week before that, and he was all over the shop and and uh, literally you know got shut down from all angles, and that's the way we've got to play against them. Um, this weekend, I mean, we'll get onto it in a minute, but this weekend feels like if we get anywhere near, then I'll be very happy. And there's a, there's a formula to do that. And we've we talked about that ourselves in, in uh, the chat and everything, that there's a formula to beat the Chiefs, but you just got to execute in every, like, you know, every part of the game to even come close to doing it. So it'd be interesting to see if we can do that. But yeah, I mean... The, the seven game playoff points are a really good point as well and that'll be make that'll make it really interesting to see if we do get there uh, who are we going to get matched up and w- where are we going to be seeded and that kind of thing because there's a lot of beatable teams that are currently sat around the playoffs I think um, so I just don't want to draw you know uh, even like the, the Steelers I think they're the, the weakness of our team is the offence isn't it uh, in, in various uh, aspects and the, and the Steelers defence is just like looks immense so yeah that's what I want to avoid for sure but Lee, flipping it back on you, are we going to win two of the next four? I, I already predicted 10 and 6. You did? The question is, do I think we can go 11 and 5? <laughs> Who do you reckon the, if those two are the wins that we've mentioned, which one do you reckon is more winnable out of the Bills and the Chiefs? Out of the Bills and the Chiefs? Um, it's really tricky because, uh, again, you just said we mentioned it before. I, I think we actually match up pretty well with the Chiefs. It's like surprisingly well. Um, I think we should have beaten the Bills earlier in the season. I think there's a couple of games now that you look back on and go, Phew. I mean, like we should have beat the Seahawks. I, th- I really think the Seahawks was the breaking point for Brian Flores when it came to making the quarterback change. Um, you know, they were beatable. We should have beat the Bills earlier in the season. So, yes, I think we could definitely beat the Bills. I mean, the, the, there is a chance that we could go three and one through these like, those four games. And it wouldn't surprise me that much, you know, if we went four and I'd be surprised. But again, I wouldn't be shocked. Like, I, I, it's not like the Miami miracle play. Do you know what I mean? I wouldn't be that shocked um, if we went four and oh, uh, if we went three and one or four and oh, but I mean, two and two, I think it's more than doable. I'd actually be disappointed if they don't go two and two, because I think we will, we're coached well enough and we're playing well enough. And, one of my takeaways from Sunday was we got lucky with being healthy enough to, you know, we've got some injuries, but not like a lot of teams have, you know, I think we got away with one of Eric Flowers looking like he can be back in a, in a week or two. I know I saw one report saying he even might play this week, although I've seen since that that looks like unlikely, but you know, it's not a long-term injury. That's great. None of the players got suspended at the weekend. (laughs) Huge. I mean, can you, can you imagine going in to face the Chiefs without Xavier Howard and Devontae Parker? <laughs> you know, and I know Matt Collins is a good special teams player, but like, you know, I'm holding X and Devontae a little bit above him right now, but that, that would be a horrible situation. That'd make it a long Sunday. But, you know, I, I think we got away with one at the weekend a little bit. And I think if we can get Ahmed back as well, and all of a sudden you can go into a Sunday with um, Gaskin, Ahmed and Breeder all healthy. I, I think... You know, we're one of those teams that right now is in a good place. 
There you go. Getting a bit of a, getting a bit of excitement going like that. That's, uh, <laughs> I must admit, I'm pretty negative about Sunday, but we'll, we'll come to that. Yeah, and I think <laughs> the good point that you made um, there with the the O line kind of uh, and the flowers. When flowers went down, I don't think we, I don't think there was much like change up in terms of the performance. The O line foot played very well at the weekend. I think that was also due to Tua getting the ball out quite quickly. I think I saw a stat which he was the second, got the ball out the second quickest uh, over the weekend, just slightly behind Philip Rivers. So that's a, that's a plus side there. But then uh, also just to, to, to talk on the on the O-line, three rookie linemen starting, I think that's the first time in, in Dolphins franchise history uh, with Jackson, Hunt and Kinley. And I thought that was really good. Uh, I thought all three of them, looked adept and, and I was really pleased when Kinley moved to, to left guard. I thought I thought there were going to be a few plays off here before he gets up to speed but didn't skip a beat and looked, uh, looked really efficient. So yeah, my big concern is just Jesse Davis starting because uh, I am the, I think I'm on the like, get rid of Jesse Davis train more than anyone else and uh, I've come across but uh, that's my that's my own personal beef. <laughs> I, to be honest, I, I, I get where you're coming from. I, I've got no problem with Jesse Jesse Davis sitting on the bench because he can, at a push, stand in some of those gaps better than players that we've seen in the past. But yeah, I mean, this is where we wanted to get to. We, I think we had this conversation earlier in the season. We wanted to get to the stage where we had as many of the rookies out there on the line as possible because that's the future. That's why you drafted them this way and this is the way you're trying to build the team. And I think they performed really well. Yes, the, you know, the offense helped them by getting the ball out quicker, but, you know, that's that's not necessarily a bad thing if we can keep that sort of a thing up. And you know, I know it's been put around Twitter a lot. You know that they went no huddle and they kind of went hurry up a little bit, but they really went more. They got to the line quicker. They didn't necessarily play quicker. They didn't play reckless. And I think we've seen with fits in the past that sometimes it can almost snowball where it suddenly becomes too fast and that's when you get that pick at the the other end of the field when it looks like you're going to score um i think that you know it looked controlled it was just we're not going to huddle we're not going to allow them to to make changes on defense and two was conscious of getting the ball out quicker and i think that's a sustainable you know way for this offense to, to run yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, definitely, definitely agree there. Um, have you got another take you want to hit up before we move on to player of the week? Um, no, I, to be honest, it kind of rolled into what we were talking about earlier. I just wanted to talk about Tua's performance in, in general. Really, um, I mean, it, it seems like an obvious one, but I didn't think the first half was as bad as social media made. I mean, I was outraged personally when Salgaro said about making a quarterback change, and then they brought it up on the broadcast night. You guys are just looking to make a problem. You know, it's almost like when they when they made the change, they wanted to make out there was a, a sorry when Tua was hurt going into the Denver game, they wanted to make out that it's a quarterback controversy. It's not. Tua's a starting quarterback. There's going to be some rough times, but I 100% agree that Fitzpatrick gave us a chance to win the Denver game when it it looked like they had exhausted the other options. I, I'm not against it. I, I understand what he's doing, but two is the quarterback of the team. There's going to be quarters that are rough. There's going to be halves that are rough. There's going to be rough games. You know, we're only five, six games into him starting. Like 10 years time, we're going to look back and there's going to be some rough games. Tom Brady's had some rough games, you know, it's like, it happens. Did you see those um, stats um, doing the rounds that uh, uh, if Tua avoids throwing a pick in this game coming up, he'll be the first quarterback in NFL history to not throw an interception in his first six games as a rookie. Crazy, that isn't it? Really, yeah. The, the corresponding one, I think, is that no, no quarterback's gone. Uh, only three quarterbacks have gone four and one in their first five games. That's Marino, um, Roethlisberger, and Tua. So that's. Uh, also, like, just keeping good company there, really, aren't we? Um, I mean, and, like, I'm just sorry, I've got another one saved that I picked up the other day. He's got a 99.4 passer rating, which is the 11th best in the NFL and tops among all rookie quarterbacks. Like, you know, everything supports that he's doing fine. It's going well. Like, I think we were so excited to get to it. And it was, you know, it was two years of build-up waiting for him to, to be drafted. And then there was, you know, no off-season and no pre-season. Then you had to wait for him to actually appear in a game. Sometimes just got to chill out. It's going to be okay. There's going to be some growing pains. But let's be honest, it's not throwing an interception. That's worth so much. 
you know, they, there's a whole bunch of teams out there right now who'd love a quarterback who hasn't thrown an interception in the last five games. You know, um, so a group of Chargers fans apparently had created a Facebook group with the sole purpose of making sure Tua does not get a weekly award. Yeah, I saw that, yeah. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah. That's how you know you're doing things right. Yeah, a little bit sad, but also quite creative, and we should do the same at some point. <laughs> well, there, there is the petition going around for Adam Gase to keep his job, so... Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, all good stuff, man. Yeah, I, and um, well, so I was going to say... Um, once we've got Najee Harris and once we've got Devonta Smith and we can <laughs> play like Alabama, then everyone will be just be very happy. So we might as well bring Nick Saban back as a offensive, <laughs> offensive or defensive coordinator as well. Why not? That's, uh... I, I like Nick Saban, actually. I know he wasn't the best coach in the world for the Dolphins, but personally, I've got a lot of time for him um, because he sent my wife and I a congratulations card when we got married. So I was well chuffed with that. So he's always got a special place there as, as old Nick. There you go. What a guy. <laughs> um, and on that fantastic bombshell we, we'll move on to a player of the week and uh, and uh, Lee I'm going to start with you because we always come to you last but uh, hit me player of the week mate so I mean it, it sounds ridiculous but again you know I was tempted even though he got ejected to go with Xavier Howard because he's doing Xavier Howard things and like the run he's on right now is just historic but I'm actually going to give it to Tua because I think he overcame some adversity in the game and change the course of the game you know his play in the second half was stellar if he played like that the whole game we'd be jumping up and down saying how he's the best quarterback in the nfl right now so you know i, I think he, he deserves it for for overcoming the the, the, the sort of slow start sorry i did consider tour as well i also considered um Gisicki, uh as well for the for the reasons we talked about earlier um because i think he had a superb game but this week i'm going for Car- uh, carvon noy actually um three sacks five tackles for a loss and three quarterback hits I thought he was outstanding as well and so yeah he gets my game ball this week yeah so same for me really I thought um, I thought offence looked really good best half of football we've seen them tour so far but you just can't look past that defence it's just hard hitting stops it just shuts down the opposition's chances of moving the ball and Van Noy was the, the leading factor in that this week for us so yeah, uh, two to one, but uh, a, f- a fine shout as well, Lee. Uh, um, good to see Tua getting a game ball. I think that's the first time we've given Tua a game ball between the three of us. So, yeah, I think so. Uh, fingers crossed it, it happens again next week, which leads us on to the Chiefs, really. And uh, 11 and one Chiefs in the AFC West, obviously. Uh, only loss was the 40 to 32 defeat to the Raiders, uh, averaging 31 points per game on offense. Um, obviously, the Broncos shut them down and, and kept them in the 20s at the weekend. So, um, there's a slight formula for, for a, a victory, I think, there. And I would uh, I would say that even though the Raiders beat them 40 to 32, shouldn't be following the Raiders' model of playing them. Should be more following the way the Patriots played them earlier in the season, which I thought was one of the better uh, games that I've watched, actually, in terms of just, you could see that... The, often in the NFL you can't really see the tactics that goes behind things you just see like one end to the other and, uh, and you swap around and if, if the casual viewer can't see uh, that's the naked eye but in that Patriots game when the Patriots just ran the ball with like all four of their running backs they barely threw a pass and uh, I think they had Brian Hoyer and Jarrett Stidham under centre and they almost beat the Chiefs and it was that was just like that's the formula to beat them and that's what the Broncos did at the weekend as well run the ball manage the clock and don't put the ball in, in Patrick Mahomes' hands with like two minutes to go because that's just a, a recipe for disaster. But so it's there. I, I'm, I'm my my worry, and I'll, and I'll throw it over to you guys in a second. My worry is that we haven't got the run game to follow that formula. That's my big concern. Uh, and also, it just feels to me that when it's one of those like whack a mole games that you get in the uh, uh, in the arcades when you when you hit the mole, another one pops up, and that's the thing with Kelsey Hill. Uh, like Edwards Hilaire got Levy on Bell there, and obviously you can't forget the the, the MVP quarterback that they've got uh, sat behind the line of scrimmage as well. So, yeah, I'll throw it over to you, Lee. Um, give me one of your fantastic breakdowns, mate. How do we win this week? <laughs> I think we win by playing the defense we've been playing all year. I think we have the ability to cope with the Chiefs. I think we dodged a huge bullet with Eric Rowe coming back into the game on Sunday. And I think that that we see this week because I think he can do a... You're not going to stop Travis Kelsey. That's like... like 
we're not going to stop the Chiefs' offense. That's not going to happen. We we need to limit them. You know, we need to to hold them like the Broncos did. You know, we need to hold them. To, if you hold them to the what did they score against the Broncos? Twenty four, I think. If you hold them to twenty four, I think you've got to jump up and down and say the defense has done a fantastic job because. There's plenty of teams that get absolutely torn apart. But I think we have the players to do it. And I don't think – I think the interesting thing about it is for Tyreek Hill, I would love to see um, Byron Jones covering Tyreek Hill rather than Xavier Howard because I think his quick change in direction doesn't necessarily play to Howard's strengths. Um, I think if necessary, you can even give Byron Jones help because you can send Xavier Howard to anybody else on the field and then leave Eric Gray with Travis Kelsey. And I think you find that way, you find a way to keep the Chiefs from tearing you apart. It's not going to be one of those games, not like we saw against the Bucks, where that game got out of hand quickly. You know, I think I got my brother's a, a Bucks fan and, and he felt like the Bucks got back in that game. I, I felt that the Chiefs had decided they'd won. And that actually they could probably have turned it on whenever they felt like it. Um, I think if, if we can stop it from getting into that mode, which I believe we've got the players to do on defense, we can let the offense kind of get to work. And I think the offense plays kind of plays into to the game plan that you were talking about, where so far we've seen two take a few deep shots, but the offense isn't isn't completely dependent on hitting bombs all over the field. It's more intermediate passes and doing that you keep the Chiefs off the field this needs to be a low possession game we don't need tons of back and forth and tons of punts this needs to be slow methodical drives like you say running the ball I mean if, if there was a time for Matt Breeder to uh, you know to show his experience this is it I think Gaskin played well again at the weekend it's great that he's back in the lineup because there's definitely a difference between him and Ahmed and Washington and anybody else that's decided to line up at running back. I mean, I don't think he's a long-term answer still, but I think he's definitely serviceable enough. So, yeah, I think there's a real recipe to to be in this game and win it. Yeah, I like that. And, um, yeah, I, I completely agree on, on Jones covering Hill. I also had a quick look at the, the 40 times, which are obviously largely... Uh, can be carried as irrelevant, but Jones is the fastest quarterback. Uh, sorry, the fastest cornerback on our on our roster compared to Noah and Howard, anyway. So, yeah, I'd be putting him there just for that purpose alone, and then the, the fact that he's often put out on an island against the team's best receiver, anyway. So, yeah, I have no problem at all with that. Sai, what do you reckon? Yeah, I've got something I wanted to raise actually, which touches on what both of you have said. Now, um, to the we saw the success the Dolphins had in the second half when they went no huddle in inverted commas. And do they continue with that kind of offense? Because clearly it worked. They moved the ball. Tua played better. He had 185 yards, I think, in the second half. It brought some energy to the team. It brought that momentum, as we talked about earlier. And do they do they continue in that vein against the Chiefs um, for those reasons? Now, the, the, the negative side of doing that is, of course, um, it doesn't keep Mahomes off the field as for as long as it would do if you had those long methodical drives that you talked about, Lee. Um, and it and it doesn't keep the defense fresh either. So it's six of one and half a dozen of the of the other. Do you go with the momentum that served you so well in the previous game and clearly gave the team a boost, or do you revert back to the norm? And, and try and establish those long, methodical drives to, as I said, to keep Mahomes off the field. Lee? So, I I, would, I think 100% you stick with it because we need to do what keeps two of the most comfortable. And if that means we, if that means the byproduct is you have to suffer extra possessions, then I would rather do that than have two are playing in a box the way he was before, where he just, he didn't look comfortable and that's not the, the player that we were trying to draft. But I think there is a way to play with a hurry-up offense without playing fast. You know, you don't have to huddle up, but you can go to the line and you can keep the defense on the field, but it can still... What's the saying? Is it like you can play quick, but don't play fast. Do you know what I mean? Get to the line of scrimmage, fine. But it doesn't mean you have to snap the ball quickly. It doesn't mean you have to snap the ball with a lot of time on the play clock. You know, you can, you can still eke it out and stop the... It has the same effect because you're not allowing them to bring in substitutions by not huddling, you know. And I think that can really play in into keeping them off the field somewhat. It's not 
like I say, I think with Fitzpatrick, sometimes it can become too fast and you're snapping the ball with a lot of time on the play clock and then it kind of snowballs. And all of a sudden you go three and out and it's three and out in under, like under a minute. And that's what you're trying to avoid. But I think, yeah, play fast, but don't play, play quick, but don't play fast. I think that's what the Rams were pretty good at in the, their Super Bowl season, wasn't it? Where they had um, Sean McVay was giving Goff the play in his helmet really, really early and they were getting to that line with a play in their heads, seeing what the defence, how they lined up against Goff, but the communication period between coach and quarterback was still open so that if they didn't like what they saw from the defence, then they still had time to change the play in Goff's ear. And that's exactly what you say, Lee, is getting to that line really, really quickly and see what the defence are offering, but don't obviously um, take the play um, as soon as you get to the line for the reasons you've just said as well. I think the other thing is, you know, obviously with Sean McVay and the Rams, obviously it it all came to a screeching halt when he met Brian Flores in the Super Bowl. But I think something I should have mentioned when I was rambling on a minute ago was, you know, Andy brought up that the Chiefs struggled, not struggled, but they were played very hard by the Patriots. And actually the Patriots should have had a chance to win the game. Um, that's the way we play. That's the defense we play is to, you know, is that same defense, the same defense that beat the Chiefs in the playoffs the last when the um, Patriots got to that Super Bowl against the Rams. You know, New England went into Kansas City and beat them, you know, behind a Brian Flores led defense. This is, you know, he's had experience of playing Patrick Mahomes. We haven't, as a team, did we play Patrick Mahomes in, very early on in that first, first season? You know, he played a couple of games at the end of the year in relief of Alex Smith. I could be completely wrong. But, I don't think so. But, you know, so we haven't played Patrick Mahomes, but Brian Flores has, and he's, what, is it three times now? Because they played him during the season. They played him during the playoffs twice. So, you know, I think that's something else that kind of goes in our favour a little bit. Yeah, can't, can't disagree with that. And I've just checked, and we're, we're opening up the week <clears throat> seven points. Uh, well, the Chiefs are opening up seven-point favourites. Um, so that kind of... Tells its own story in a way, doesn't it? That we're not, um, you know, there's just a couple of other lines there which are a lot shorter than that, which which um, is probably fair enough. But do you think that um, the underdog kind of status in this game is going to like play to our advantage at all? So do you think like that have that chip on the shoulder that we're, we're you know, that we're, we're not favoured? But and, and then on the flip side, do you think that? It's kind of crazy that this season's been so productive, and that we're talking here as if we could definitely win this game. So, don't really match those two points up slightly, but yeah, like you know, going into it as an underdog, but also with a clear route to victory. I think it's just typical of the season we've had and the progress that we've made as a team and a, as an organisation, actually. So, even if we don't win the game, um, there's no disgrace in that because they're, they've only lost one game and they're the uh, reigning champions. So, I don't think uh, it's the um, end of the world if if we don't happen to win but it's just a, a barometer now of, of how far we have come and and that we are in a position to give them a game because if this had have happened last year or any any time in recent um, history actually we wouldn't have had a prayer against the Chiefs uh, but the fact is that we have and we're talking about trying to beat them um, just demonstrates yeah this is actually a pretty good team we've got now Yeah that's uh, nicely summed up there I think actually yeah and uh... Lee, have you got anything you want to uh, quickly wrap it up with before we go on to predictions? Yeah, I, just think, I think a couple of things. I mean, I've said it so many times this season, I'm going to say it again. The Chiefs also haven't played in Miami at one o'clock. I think that's going to be a new experience. And even if they play at their speed, the speed they like, might not be conducive. Yes, they won a Super Bowl in Miami, but that was on a that was on a late on a Sunday night. You know, it's very different than playing at one o'clock in the afternoon. But let's hope it's a, a nice hot afternoon for them. Um I think also it's a testament to, to again, something we've been banging on about all year, is a coaching. We, we now we consider ourselves contenders, and I think people, you can expect to go into this game, and even if you lose, we go into this game expecting to compete. You know, we don't, we're not going in there as that team that we we expect to get whooped by, and and just hope that we we manage to survive until next week where we can play a team we can beat. I think you know, things have changed, and it it starts with the coaching stuff. Yeah, before we go on to the predictions, actually, I want to touch on a little bit more research that I've done with regards to specifically focusing on the Chiefs' defence, because we know what their offence can do and 
And like you said earlier, Lee, there's, you can't stop Mahomes and co. They're going to put points on the board. So it's almost like a case of, well, what can we offer in return? And I'll be looking at their game-by-game breakdown in terms of how they've let conceded points. I mean, if you take the Denver game out of the equation that they played last week, in the three games prior to that, in each of those games, they'd let in 14 points in the fourth quarter. So there's definitely, we talked about how well the Dolphins traditionally have started this year, which is why it's important to, because the Chiefs are also got a, in a habit at the moment of, of leaking points and early as well. It's the middle part of the game where the Chiefs are the strongest in quarters two and especially three. But if you can take the Dolphins' fast starts that they've traditionally had, uh, Bengals game aside, and combine that with a fast finish, they're the two periods of the game where I would look to take advantage of. Uh, because if we get off to that sluggish start like we did against the Bengals, the game could potentially be over by halftime, the way the Chiefs play on offence. So it's really, really important to to take advantage of that fast starts that we know they can do, but also to how well they can finish and complete drives in the in the fourth quarter is going to be equally as important this week, I think, if they're going to stay in the game. Yeah, definitely. Good point there. And and, and we can't we know we can start quickly if you just look back to the Chargers game, how quickly we started that game. So just got to get out of the blocks and uh, just to chip in with one more point, I know we've just been round and made one more point each, but but uh, Emmanuel Ogba, uh, obviously against his former team, no one's going to know uh, the ins and outs of like beating that offensive line just as as well as him uh, if anyone does. So I've got, I think this could be a massive game for him. I think he's going to like put that defensive line on his shoulders, and uh, and it's, it's going to be valuable. So the kind of film breakdown that they'll be doing this week. I'm hopeful uh, that we're going to have like at least one or two sacks or at least see him in the backfield a lot and getting after Mahomes if there's and I've just got a lot of faith in, in the fact that he can come out and, and be recognised as a big name this week if uh, if we do get the win he'll be vital to that I think which brings us on to the uh, predictions uh, I'll kick off for a change I think it's going to be a tight game uh, I think we're going to give up the traditional uh, or the average amount of points that the Chiefs put up which is 31 I think we're going to keep it within one score. I don't think we're going to do it this week. I think it's going to be a 31-27 loss. Sai, about you? Similar scoreline, actually. I mean, it's such a fascinating game to think that a win would put us within touching distance of the playoffs. Um, Whoever we were playing this week at 8-4, a win would put us in a really good spot. It's just really unfortunate that this week we're playing the Chiefs, the whole team, who who are arguably the best team in the NFL. And I think... We're just going to come up a little bit short this week. I think they'll play well and they'll give them a good game, but I'm I'm going for a 31-21 Chiefs victory, unfortunately, this week. Lee, I know you're going to predict a win. I can just tell you're going to predict a win. <laughs> How many are you going to win by? <laughs> so, so in my preseason, when I was doing my preseason predictions and I had 10 and 6, I had penciled this in as a loss because I think, I agree, I think the Chiefs are the best team in the NFL. I, I don't care that the Steelers were 11 and 0 before last night. I didn't think I think based on the fact that they were bad last year, their schedule allowed them to be 11-0 and and kind of helped them to that. I think if it it really came to it, my money would be on the Chiefs between the two of them. But just to be different, I go take a Dolphins win and I want 31-28 on a last-minute Jason Sanders field goal. That's what we can get behind. That would be... uh... That'd be money, wouldn't it? But uh, imagine, just imagine the overreaction if we win this week. <laughs> by the way, like just uh, like you might as well buy all three of us paying tickets to. Oh, we're going to Super Bowl. That's it. Yeah. It's all over. The only thing, the only thing that I haven't I haven't mentioned. I think this is the first week that we for for a while now that we've seen a really mobile quarterback, and that's killed us this season. There is the potential for things to get ugly if if we sort of treat him the way that you know. Cam Newton treated us in the first week of the season. I think we're much better than than we were then, but it, it's better to say that now than to come off the back of a bad loss and go, "Oh look, we did the same thing again." So, but yeah, yeah, no, you, you're completely right. Um, yeah, fingers crossed, man. Like I say, uh, I'll be straight on the uh, what do they call it, the, the Touchdown Tours website. That's right, a bit of free advertising for you there, guys. But uh, um, Straight to Tampa. Let's go. That's it. Yeah, I mean, that, that, I think they quoted me last year for. You know, I think it was like four grand. I was like, in, in what world? <laughs> Can I buy this to the wife? Uh, 
that's uh, we might have to do that if we if we beat the Chiefs this week, and I'm sure I can get on board if middle of a pandemic and uh, vaccinations pending. That'd be <laughs> straight uh, straight on that. Um, <laughs> right, a quick two minute job to finish. A bit different this week. We normally stick uh, on NFL related matters, and we are, but we are going to look at um, fantasy football, which we haven't talked about at all on the pod uh, to this point. But all three of us. Uh, play a fair bit of fantasy football. I know uh, Lee obviously does his five-yard rush stuff and they do a lot of fantasy uh, content, as do the full 10 yards guys that I uh, do the college stuff with as well. So, yeah, uh, and Cy, of course, runs the, the Dolphin UK uh, Fantasy League as well, which uh, I am doing spectacularly badly in, despite the uh, <laughs> aforementioned uh, preview there. But, uh, yeah, guys, we're going to go around. We're going to give uh, the best fantasy pick you made this year and the worst pick as well, and just give us a couple of seconds on on why uh, each player was that. And Sly, we'll, we'll go your way first, mate. Yeah, my, my best pick, actually, Kyler Murray. I think I picked him up in the fourth or fifth round. Um, I think in there's a league I play in with Nat Coombs, friend of the show, uh, Will Gavin, Ollie Hunter from the Gridiron Show, um, play, and I managed to pick up Kyler Murray in in that particular draft, I think in, I think it was the fifth round actually, and he's currently ranked number one um, in terms of uh, quarterback rankings on, on ESPN. Um, so that would have to go as my my best pick, I think. And worst, worst. Um, it's not so much as a pick, but more of a trade. I think I traded for Joe Mixon in a in my work league. Um, I thought I'd got the better of the deal because I traded away Mike Davis, who at the time was on the verge of giving out giving way to Christian McCaffrey and Will Fuller. Um, now, Will Fuller has obviously been suspended. Mike Davis is still playing, I think. Uh, but since I made that trade, Joe Mixon hasn't played one one iota um, and doesn't look like he's going to. So that's probably my worst, worst uh, not pick, but um, trade this season or worst player I've picked up anyway. Sounds about right. Um, Lee, go on, hit us with your humble brag for your best player, mate. <laughs> yeah, so I, in my Dynasty League, I actually last year picked up off waiver wires Ryan Tannehill. And he has served me very well. I picked him up in, in a whole bunch of leagues because people are just convinced that he's no good. And like, I've watched him for too long to think that he's that bad a quarterback. And I must say, when I picked him up last year before the season, I was like, Marcus Mariota is getting hurt at some point. He's going to play. And I believe he's better than Marcus Mariota. So I, I thought he was, I mean, the, the league I was in, in, in the rankings before they had him ranked even when he was a starting quarterback of the Dolphins, they had him ranked outside the top 32 quarterbacks in the NFL. <laughs> and I couldn't believe it. So, yes, he might not be the best player in fantasy, but he's certainly been... I mean, he's carried me through plenty of weeks last season and this season. And worst uh, pick-up this year or in general? Oh, Devin Singletary. Yeah. Got to be. I mean, I, <laughs> we, we talked before the show, I, I've got Christian McCaffrey and I was convinced he wouldn't have as good a year as last year and tried to trade him. But Devin Singletary is just every week an absolute letdown. But at the same time, I can't bench him because I know he's going to have, at some point, he's going to have that week and I can't have him sitting on my bench. I don't really have a lot of other options. So in I think in two leagues, I've got him starting almost every week. Nice. I like it. Yeah, I can feel that as well. My main dynasty leaguer, I've got him and he just sits on my bench every week, to be honest. I, I've been playing like Salvan Ahmed, uh, Ahmed and. Um, Jamal, uh, Jamal got hasty above him and stuff. So that's how highly I think of him. But uh, my best pickup is definitely Robbie Anderson. Uh, and when he went to the uh, went to uh, the Panthers from the Jets, I literally I drafted him everywhere in redraft this year. I've got uh, I think I've got like ten leagues and I've got him in eight of them. And uh, the guy's just uh, put up like proper good numbers for for that guy that you can get in the 10th 11th 12th round uh fantastic player and um a little bit gutted that we didn't pick him up when he left the Jets actually because I thought he'd be a real compliment to to Parker uh worst pickup is definitely in the same range of wide receiver but Julian Edelman which I, I like I felt him slipping in every league I was in this year um and he's just like he's played about three games. He didn't have any catches in one of them, uh, and he's now sat on IR. So, yeah, um, a bit of a bust there, and, and probably for the benefit of the AFC East as well that he's uh, he's sat out, and hopefully he's still out when we uh, come round to that game in a couple of weeks. But uh, yeah, we'll see. Right, I think that's it, lads. Another another good episode. Thanks for joining us. Um, side, you want to hit us with the with the last minute plugs? 
Yeah, find us up on Twitter at DolphinUK underscore pod. Um, let us know if there's anything you want us, want us to talk about on the show. Um, I think we may even do a mailbag in uh, future weeks. Um, so, yeah, keep an eye out for that. Nice one. Yeah, and I'm going to do a very quick cheeky plug for, for our own, uh, my own purposes at the end as well. Um, just started a draft podcast with the Full 10 Yards uh, college guys, so check that out, um, Full 10 Yards, CFB. Um, we're talking running backs week one. We know the Dolphins need one. So, yeah, go and listen to what we think about those guys and, uh, and let us know which one you want the Dolphins to draft. Thanks, guys. We'll catch you next week.